On this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show, we're talking COVID motorcycle sales are up? Question mark. We'll get into that. Lots of dealer changes happening locally here in the Puget Sound. And Dave Richardson joins us for part two about his two new books, talking Moto Guzzi and so much more. All ahead on the Sound Rider Show. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by Clem's Enum Klopp Power Sports, your South Sound destination for your favorite brands like Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Can Am, and Kimco. And Clem's goes beyond motorcycles to satisfy all your outdoor passions with a full line of UTVs, ATVs, snowmobiles, personal watercraft, and cargo trailers. Have you got a dirt bike you want to convert to a snow bike? Visit Clem's today and discover all the possibilities. This is Jose Mateu with Skagit Power Sports. Welcome to the Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. motorcycle riders from across the pacific northwest and around the world this is the sound rider show the july edition where we would like to officially welcome you to the sound rider autonomous relief zone joining me publisher founder and all-around mover and shaker mr tom Marin, publisher and founder of sound rider i should say and i of course am self-appointed editor at large and dr warlord mr Derek roberts tom it's crazy times, but that means there is no better time than now to get out on your motorcycle, right? Yeah, I'm trying to imagine the image of the DR350 Warlord. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of looks like me in full motorcycle gear with my uh, camping equipment on the back. Because it's, it's really, I mean, this is the season, you know. We've had some, uh, we had some great weeks of weather uh, closing out in June, and I'm looking forward to a good July. Doesn't look like a lot of forest fires or anything out there just yet either. Not yet, not yet. And they usually do start up about now. But you know, we've had a lot of wet weekends. Have you noticed that? This is uh, you and I are recording the weekend before the first of July, and this is, I believe, the sixth or the seventh wet weekend in a row. Yeah, I, you you are right about that. It seems to be a bit of irony. The week during the week uh sunny and 70 and then saturday hits and you look out your window and it's uh sprinkling rain and overcast but um you know that doesn't mean you can't burn a little vacation time you know if you're a motorcycle rider don't wait till the winter time to use it use it now right i mean forget the holidays you don't want to go see your family anyway get out and ride now that's what i said <laughs> yeah you've been lucky and you haven't been able to see him now you know why yeah, go see that's him? right <laughs> Yeah, you got all that vacation time stored up. So, um, but hey, man, what's been going on? What's your uh, state of the nation? Have you been out there a little bit and kind of uh, talking to people? I know I have, but I'm I'm curious to know what you've been seeing out in the field. I've talked to several dealers this week. They're telling me their sales are up. Um, I saw the article that came across the wire from Cycle World that was quoting a three and a half percent increase for the year in America out of a website called MotorcycleData.com, hmm. and uh, I went to that website, and I tried to find the article that had that specific 3.5%, and either they took it down, or I don't know what happened. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to pay them the big money. I don't know. But I was going to say, that sounds like one of those paywall deals, a MotorcycleData.com, where they probably want your, your subscription fee there, but 3.5%, um, I guess... You know, that's pretty significant if that is true. Yeah, considering the lengthy recession that the motorcycle industry has been in since about 2012. Yeah, and you know, I have uh, been hearing the same thing out in the field. In fact, I know a lot of um, shops on the I-5 corridor here, uh, significant size shops, have reported their best months of all time. Really? Is, uh, yeah, which is uh, mind-blowing to me. I mean, I was terrified three months ago that half of uh, the motorcycle shops in the Pacific Northwest were going to go out of business, but I am seeing the exact opposite. I'm, I guess people are thinking if the world's going to end, I might as well spend my money. huh? <laughs> yeah, or maybe they got that stimulus money and they're out spending it. Huh? Well, specifically on that. And, uh, the metric shops have been, it is in sort of my field of things have been performing better 
on average than uh, the Harley Davidson shops, which have also been performing well. But I've had a few people tell me, well, mom and dad came in. They each had their uh, $1,200 stimulus check, and that meant a new PW50 for Junior. Wow. And, uh, so the kids' bikes in particular have been very difficult to keep in stock. And that makes me wonder, you know, looking down the road, if we can get through uh, this whole COVID situation and unemployment and uh, everything else, another election and uh, potential inflation, will we have a new generation, a new bumper crop of kids who uh, will look back on as the, uh, the COVID riders? Wow. Wouldn't that be nice? But it'd be something, wouldn't it? So it looks like the age of the video games stealing those kids away is is finally come to an end, huh? Well, I, maybe it's just the fact that uh, mom and dad are all working from home with kids running around. They're like, "Look, <laughs> yeah, put your you helmet on anymore. and go yeah. ride. Get out of my hair, kid." Or don't put your helmet on. Just go out and ride. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I found that to be kind of a little interesting phenomenon. But you know, also just popular models like the uh you know the new t700 a lot of dealers are already sold out of that and uh, have deposits and they're waiting for those to come in and it seems to be just gangbusters you go into any shop and everybody is running around shops are hiring again it's it's really it's really quite amazing but um so the the t7 is uh an exciting model and you say that the shops are sold out. Is there any other models out there right now that are just kind driving grabbing people crazy? people's attention? You know, I don't think so. I'm, I'm trying to think even anything that uh, – I, nothing comes to mind that has been sort of officially released even in the last month or two. Um, but people are reporting, you know, sales across the board on uh, particularly metric motorcycles – so I don't think that there's anything that stands out quite as much as the the Tenere 700, mm-hmm. but um, people are selling out of models, and then it's compounded by the fact that a lot of manufacturers limited their production. So a lot of manufacturers have been telling people, like, hey, sorry, you just got to wait for 2021s now. Huh. And then so, uh, on top of that, the used by market has been hot. Yes, people can't uh, cannot keep used bikes in stock. The inventories are dwindling. And uh, people are out there shopping for them. So if you have a third or a fourth or even a second motorcycle or you're looking to trade up, I'd say now is the time. So um, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on during this COVID event of the last 90 days. Um, A lot of shops, I think this is like a state mandate in Washington. I'm not sure about Oregon or Idaho or up in B.C., but uh, a number of shops here are you can only buy a motorcycle by appointment only. Yeah, I am seeing that. And, uh, of course, as we record this, just the other day, uh, Governor Inslee here in Washington has now mandated that you have to wear a mask. But even before that, a lot of shops were requesting it. And you do see sales uh, sales floors limited in access and people are really trying to mitigate how much contact there is with motorcycles and wiping everything down. So yeah, they don't really want you coming in and, you know, taking sort of a, a casual test ride or just kind of mounting the motorcycle and causing any potential can- contamination. So it's a great point. If you're listening out there and you want to go visit, you should probably call ahead. Yeah. One of the shops I was in uh, yesterday, they said, uh, we only uh, we'll take a sales appointment meeting between 9 and 10 in the morning and 5 and 6 p.m. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. they're so slammed at the counter, they don't have enough people to uh, handle all the requests. And, and it is obviously a lot more delicate how you go about selling a motorcycle right now. So although I tell you, man, if I could buy one motorcycle in one hour, that would be an amazing feat, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> that's certainly true, but you know that seems to be working for a lot of shops. Um, as we've talked about, you know the the inventory is uh, is very limited right now. So I guess if if you're able to do that and continue to make sales, why not take that approach? Yeah, I remember back in uh, oh I don't know a decade ago, I'd go to buy a motorcycle or a car. And they'd like have to keep putting my address into the computer system over and over. I'm like, why don't you just have that pull it from one database? And that seemed like like half of the sales transaction was how many times they had to put my address in. Yeah, it seems like back in the day when you did go to buy a car, like you'd have to take the day off work, right? Like you'd be sitting there at the sales desk for almost uh, half a day while they 
grand credit and got you registered and everything, I, I guess technology has accelerated that. At least I would hope. Tried to sell you an extended warranty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to want the rust proofing on that, right? That's going to be another $2,000. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Strange times out there. But certainly the dealers are open and they are active and they appreciate your business. And I know a lot of our listeners are already out there riding. But what about you? Have you did you do much riding in June? Uh, not too much. Yeah. No. I was kind of the same way. Things have been it, like for the shops, I guess things have been crazy for us in the, uh, in the motorcycle industry as well. I mean, summers are usually pretty hectic anyway, but, uh, I tell you, I'm trying to mark some weekends off in July to get out there and, and go see some things. Went and did some free riding on the, uh, road trip 2020 that's coming up in September. That's right. Through the, uh, Cascades here in Washington, right? Mm-hmm. And what did you think out there? What uh, was the the conditions of the potential route? Did you feel like things are going to be looking pretty good in September? What's some of your feedback? Well, I love the route. Um, you know, again, wear a mask because we really need to to not let this flare up. And it's it's going to flare. If it's going to flare up, it's going to flare up between now and fall. And uh, we can we can stop that by everybody wearing a mask. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're too beautiful to wear a mask then stay home, but, uh, well, the, then there's the guys like wonderful. us where we'll, we'll be out there anyway, even though we are too beautiful, right? I'll be out there with my beautiful mask, you know, yeah, get, that's get a what mask that speaks for you. I've, I've got a Seahawks mask. It's very nice. Oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so I think, uh, I think they'll, a lot of people are looking forward to that at the end of September. I actually think that's going to be a great date. You know, all the uh, snow should be melted and uh, have not moved in yet in September. I really think that tour is going to be is going to be gangbusters and a lot of fun. I got a special mask for you. Oh yeah, yeah. It says "Make the DR three fifty great again." <laughs> that's uh, oh, it's M A. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the acronym would be. Oh, it's there. a long one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they should. I, that should be a campaign for Suzuki. If you're listening, uh, let's bring that back. Come on, yeah, bring that bike back. Yeah, I know you got. And don't the change the technology but... on it in any way. Well, it's Suzuki. I don't think we have to worry about that. So, ah, <laughs> uh, what else? A uh, little rundown on Soundrider events because people are wondering. Uh, Cafe to Cafe is open. Uh, it has been the whole time anyways, but uh, many of the restaurants are getting back open again. We haven't gotten reports of any of the locations being closed down, but we will note that on the Cafe to Cafe web webpage uh, when we know that, and we'll send out an email to everyone who's registered with any replacement locations. Um, so that's all happening. Uh, the road trip, we moved it into September. Uh, 14th to the 18th, so if you're looking for something to do later on because all your favorite rallies are gone and your tours and that sort of thing, uh, we're a go on that right now. Um, and then the Rally in the Gorge is a go for now, and we will check in with the uh, Oregon government in the first week of August and confirm that we meet any guidelines necessary. And if we don't, we'll uh, we'll have several different refund or or uh, reschedule options for anyone who is already registered. So, uh, well, I would say you know obviously uh, we'll be following the state guidelines there. But if there is any motorcycle rally that is equipped to handle social distancing, it's the Sound Rider Rally in the court. <laughs> Uh, I would imagine we will have it limited to a number of people. I don't think that Oregon's going to be so far down the road that they won't have a limitation. So uh, it, it may not be uh, something that everybody's going to get into if we sell out, but we'll just cross that bridge when we get to it. That's right. One step at a time, as I think everybody is doing during these uh, these sort of unusual and unprecedented times. But it certainly would be a great thing if it were able to go on as planned. I know I always look forward to being down there and being part of the rally in the gorge. And I hope that uh, 2020 is no different. Yeah. So uh, let's take a little break. And then when we come back, we got uh, the news bites and some calendar stuff. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter show is made possible by Adventure Motorsports, Stomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs, 
are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hi, I'm Brian McMorin from Peachland, British Columbia, Canada, and one of my favorite rides is from the Ravina Curves between Moser and the Dalles. Hi, guys, this is Bill from Revit. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. in studio on the Sound Rider show for this July edition and we're going to roll right on into news bites and uh why don't we do a little rundown Tom and talk about some of the area dealers here cuz some things have changed over the last couple of months. Yeah, it's pretty interesting in 90 days we've had uh, quite a number of changes. Um the ones that we're going to talk about are in the Puget Sound. Uh I've got you know because I'm kind of trapped here at home I haven't been down to Oregon or got any news on Idaho or anything lately. So if anybody's got any tips for us we'd love to We'd love to know them. Yeah, send them our way. So uh, Skagit Power Sports, uh, first of the year, they sent out a notice. They told everybody, you know, we love you. We'll see you later. We're going out of business. And in the midst of that, they attempted to sell their OEM franchises off and had a buyer. And then the COVID-19 thing happened and the Mm -hmm. buyer pulled out. So the owners decided that they would just keep the business running. So they've moved the store from where it was up next to I-5. Uh, they've moved it all into the warehouse in the back. Um, <laughs> they've, they sold off quite a bit of gear and stuff during that three-month period. So they're slowly restocking with new gear, uh, parts, accessories. They're doing a build-out on the service area. Uh, just kind of getting that showroom functioning. Uh, I'm told there will be a re-grand opening coming up later, probably either July or August. Well, you know, I, for one, am excited to hear this because uh, I know that I think with the the continuation here, a lot of the same employees will be involved, and they had some really great folks down there. And, uh, of course, Bill has built uh, Bill Cameron quite a legacy with that shop, and that area needs something like that. It needs a good reputable metric dealer. So I'm uh, I'm stoked to hear this, and I wish them a ton of success in Skagit Power Sports version 2.0. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to see them hanging out and doing it, and uh, I think we'll see uh, Jose take on more as a general manager. Uh, remember, you know, um, Gary and, and uh, Bill and Pete all wanted to retire, so uh, you're not going to see them around the shop a lot. But uh, I think Jose is a good leader. And he's going to make it happen. It's going to be good. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back up there and, and saying hi to the gang again. I actually I was down at uh, Street Strategies with our friends at Cascade Motorcycle Safety and ran into Bill down there. And he seemed excited about it. So I wish them a ton of luck. Yeah, good. Uh, let's see. Uh, back in uh, March when this all went down, um, the old Hinshaws reopened as Nash Power Sports. So uh, that shop is in business, got all the same lines that they had when it was uh, Henshaw's and later Noble Rush. And uh, so that's good news for the South End. Yeah, another big deal. And um, Nash Power Sports, I think they're out of Arizona. I know they have quite a few dealerships and they seem to be pretty experienced. And again, another area down there, that Auburn area, that really needs a good metric powerhouse and uh, i'm hoping that nash will will be able to sustain that for many decades to come have you popped in there yet you know i haven't had a chance to go down there yet i think they officially opened what maybe it was like like april 1st or something has it been that long okay i know um it was right sort of during like uh peak covid closures it seemed like they they were able to get in and open up at least their service department but i need to make a trip down there i'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what kind of changes they have in the works and uh, like i said i hope that i really hope they can make that a powerhouse for the area so then uh oh just about that same time we got word that seattle used bikes was going to move to a new location 
and they have. They've moved south on Aurora, uh, closer to where Valentine Motor Works is. And uh, I have not been into the new shop yet, so I don't I don't have a, any report on that. But it's obviously it's a larger space, quite a nice looking building, kind of just a big concrete block. But it's it's nice, and they put their their color bars up on the wall. I'm hoping that they'll put their name somewhere on the outside of the building eventually too. Uh, and that is in the works, is my understanding. And I have had the pleasure of visiting down there a time or two. And I got to tell you, man, it is a beautiful. Beautiful setup, and uh, Dave Roosevelt, of course, has joined us on the show here, has um, really reworked the interior of that building. They've got some a great showroom floor coming on. He's doing a lot of consignment bikes, uh, almost more than he can handle. Uh, they also are offering storage in the back and uh, service as well. So it's, um, it's good to see that they were able to maintain uh, a position on, the, on Aurora Avenue. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. If you get the chance to go down there, I, I highly recommend it. No, I'll make it in there this month. Yeah. Mask in hand. And then uh, just as we were editing the show for June, we got word that BMW Motorcycles of Seattle was going to rise like the Phoenix bird. And uh, they have opened up a new shop next door to the mini dealership out on Lake City Way. Anybody remembers there was a Blue Pearl emergency room out there if you have dogs or cats. Uh, Now, instead of taking your dog or cat in for a medical issue, you can walk in the door and buy a new motorcycle. And this is really just down the street from uh, Lake City Power Sports, the uh, Honda dealership, right? Yeah, it's a few blocks down. Yeah. So in the neighborhood here. But again, very exciting. I didn't, you know, we had talked about this, of course, with the closure of BMW Motorcycles of Seattle several months ago, uh, really felt like there had to be some presence for BMW in Seattle. And I'm, again, very excited to see how this works out. In fact, I think uh, maybe I will ask Dave Richardson, who will be our interview guest today for Moto International, maybe we'll ask him a little bit about it. All right. Um, The owner is uh, the same owner that owns the mini dealership, whose name I don't have in front of me at this moment. And the general manager is going to be Roman Lemenshkov, who was over at Ride West and later Noble Rush. That's right. Well-deserving and good, again, to have somebody who is uh, experienced with the brand line coming back in there and getting things up and running. Um, So this is interesting. I was in at Seattle Cycle Center yesterday. And uh, they got a, a a special deal going on. They got a walk-in oil change or walk-in tire change same day, and you can walk in all the way up until four p.m. and they wow. will throw your bike up on the rack and and they're busy over there. There's a lot of activity in that shop going on. They are cranking. It is crazy how busy they are over there. And what a uh, what a feature to be able to offer that. I mean, you know, that's sort of the joke in motorcycle land, right? When people call up and they go, oh, hey, I need to get my bike in for an oil change. I'm leaving for uh, my trip on Friday. When can you get me in? And usually in the summertime, it's, well, in about two and a half weeks. But uh, to be able to offer this on the same day is, wow, that's going to bail a lot of people out. That's going to be, that's cool. That's going to be great to see. Yeah. I remember last summer when uh, we were on our way out to do the Sasquatch tour in Idaho, I had a mechanical out around the Monroe area, and uh, we put the bike on a tow truck and brought it into Seattle, put it up on the rack at Seattle Cycle Center, and 30 minutes later, they had sussed out the issue and fixed it, and I rode away. It was, (laughs) wow, I I thought you guys were going to tell me maybe you'd look at it about Thursday, but uh, they just got right on it. God, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, those guys never disappoint. Of course, longtime supporters of Sound Rider, but really a, uh, a great place for gear and service in the, in the Seattle metro area here. Yep. Uh, okay, let's go a little bit north up to Vancouver, B.C. The uh, development company called Damon, who is making electric motorcycles up in British Columbia, uh, has just surpassed $16 million in pre-orders. That's so I, I have to admit that uh, I didn't know too much about Damon, and I've been investigating them here this morning, and it looks like they've got some pretty cool stuff. 
Yeah, everything I've seen is on the web. They had a booth up at the motorcycle show in Vancouver in February, but they didn't bring in any of the bikes and they left Saturday. So there was no one even in uh, the booth was gone Sunday. I don't know what happened, but, uh, but you know, at a million bucks a bike, I mean, that's only 16 bikes, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> that is one way to look at it. But, you know, we are, we're fast approaching um, that sort of critical juncture, I think, in electric motorcycle technology where very soon we are going to see, I think, sort of a, almost like a, we saw with uh, Tesla in the automotive world, we're going to see somebody sort of take the lead and take traction, don't you think? Isn't it, aren't we... Aren't we about that time somewhere in the next 18 months, maybe to two years, where an um, electric brand is going to take off? What are, what are your thoughts? Oh, I thought that that already happened with the live wire. <laughs> uh, dot, dot, dot on that one. Well, that, hey, uh, you know, Harley, uh, Harley's coming with uh, two more electric bikes. Did you know that? I had heard They're a like little bit $800 a piece. Are they the uh, – is that um, – Stasics? Is that what you're referring to? I think they are Stasics. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're electric bikes for kids, so they're coming yeah. out with two new models. So a little, little cheaper than a live wire. Uh, just a little bit, at least for now. We'll see what the future holds. But uh, <laughs> I, is did I hear too that another brand is uh, partnering with? I don't know. Is it Stasic or Stasic? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think but. you say it's Stasic. Um, okay. KTM has uh, two new models. Pretty cool looking electric bikes that Stasic's going to do the build on. Well, that is uh, quite the uh, the counterbalance to uh, being branded as Harley Davidson and now KTM, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but when you're Stasic, you'll take anybody, right? Won't they do a Moto Guzzi electric bicycle for kids? Well, I don't know. I'm starting to think that they will only do uh, OEMs that use orange and black so they can oh, save on Oh, yeah. Then they only have graphics. to buy two kinds of paint, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the economy's tight out there. But I haven't seen these KTM-branded ones. Are they doing putting, like, knobby tires on any of them or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're good-looking bikes. They're, they're very uh, um, sort of modernistic. You can look it up online. Just type in KTM electric bicycle. Yeah, I, I will take a look at it for sure, and I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it on the showroom floors. So, you know, we're talking about COVID and the numbers and where they're at, going up, going down. And, uh, wow, Sturgis says they're going to run their rally in July. That's, uh, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Well, Sturgis is August, right? Oh, is it August? Okay. I think so, yeah. Um, but really, I, you know, Sturgis is such a massive event that has so many independent players involved. I don't know, realistically, I mean, the city could have said, hey, we're not on board with it. But how, in reality, how could you have shut this down? I, uh, well, I thought about that. I always figured people would just go and be there, whether there was a rally or not. Yeah, I think that it, it, I don't see how the city and or the county or whoever's responsible, I guess, for making that official announcement could have gotten in the way of it entirely. But it will it will be interesting to see. You know, we've got a lot of a reported increase in uh, COVID-19 cases here in the last couple of weeks. So when August 7th through the 16th rolls around, um, we'll see how that all works out in South Dakota. But again, this is a it's a challenging position because I can only imagine that the businesses in and around Sturgis, this event is probably, I mean, without exaggeration, it's probably somewhere between 50 and 70% of their yearly revenue, right? I mean, what else is out there? Probably true. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, if you're, if you're watching COVID numbers, um, this, this won't be something you can watch South Dakota and see if their numbers go up three weeks later, because everybody's gone back home wherever they live. And if they test positive, they'll test positive in the state where they are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you think about what the uh, the travel picture will look like when we bring up the heat map. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to make of it one way or the other. I guess, uh, you know, we, we, of course, wish the event well. But, you know, I've never attended Sturgis. And maybe this year I will pass, too, in favor of uh, sitting at home and watching a motorcycle documentary. What do you think? I think what you should do is go and buy a sewing machine. 
and get some Harley Davidson fabric and sew up a thousand face masks, sell them for twenty five bucks a pop, and come out looking super shiny. Yeah. <laughs> well, if there's any excess inventory, can I list that in the Soundwriter store? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Twenty five <laughs> bucks to pop. Yeah. We'll see how that works out. Put that right to, next to my Joey's junkyard face mask. That's right. <laughs> Ah, uh, okay, so uh, once upon a time, there was this guy, his name was Bruce Brown. He made some really great surf documentaries as well as motorcycle documentaries, and most people know I'm talking about On Any Sunday. Uh, Bruce had a baby. His name was Dana. Uh, Dana tried his hand at a couple surf documentaries. Nah, they were okay. And then he did Dust of Glory. He did a fantastic job with that movie. And now, uh, because his father's passed away, Dana is doing a documentary of his dad, which I think is super. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's probably it's probably time for that. I mean, on any Sunday might be as far as motorcycle films are concerned. It it's definitely one of the five most important motorcycle oh, films, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd say it's probably one of the most important. It probably did more for motorcycle sales than any other. Um, any any other motorcycle movies combined, with the exception of Wild Hogs? Uh, I was going to say Ghost Rider, but yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're probably right on that. And you know, it, it's it's interesting because so many people try their hands at motorcycle films. It's such a it's a tough genre to really make something uh, for such a compelling activity. It's, it's tough to make a, a compelling 90 minute film about the sport for whatever reason, but yeah. on any Sunday certainly captures that. Yep. And you know, I've seen where people try to go back and do it again and it's just never the same. Yeah. So I don't know. There was just something about the time, the era. Uh, and that was a time when really motorcycles were, you know, you had to meet the nicest people on a Honda happen, and then you had stuff going on like the Vietnam War, and motorcycles were sort of the escape machines right. from all that reality. So, Which, ironically, maybe is what's powering this uh, recent surge as we addressed in sales here um, in the motorcycle industry. People are looking for a, a bit of escapism. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to just cover a couple of calendar items here, and then I'm going to make a suggestion to anybody. Um, use the Soundwriter calendar to see what is going on and what's canceled. Quite a bit of stuff is canceled, um, so I don't want you going out to uh, a race day somewhere only to find out there's no flat track racing happening in Vancouver on the week of whatever. Uh, but anyways, there are some track days that are starting to happen. Uh, track Time, which is Alan down in the South Sound, he's got uh, an event going on at the Ridge on July 1st and 2nd. Uh, they go, the guys over at Ottoman Performance Rider Training are doing a number of track days. Uh, they've got two weekends booked in July at the Ridge. Uh, that's the 4th and the 5th and the 12th and the 13th. Um, doesn't look like the Wimmera races are happening, but I did find that there is an Omer race that's going to happen down in Portland on the 17th. And uh, really, that's like basically about all that's going on on the calendar that's, that hasn't been canceled. The Tulip Ride was canceled. Uh, we talked about the Pendleton Bike Week and the Hell's Canyon rallies both being canceled last month. Um, but I do want to make a note to people here. Uh, if there is a canceled event like the Tulip Riot and you wanted to do something good for Seattle Humane Society, which is what that event uh, benefits, uh, you can go on to the site. They have a link where you can make a donation this year to the Seattle Humane Society. And uh, I think anybody who bought a pre-registration probably already rolls to 2021 on that particular event. Uh, but any of these things that are for a good cause, you know, we get a lot of, uh, of uh, veterans-type events that go on and rides for kids and stuff like that. Uh, you could still do some good. You won't be able to ride your bike with a bunch of people. But uh, those people need those donations to keep going with what they're doing. So uh, 
That's my that's my spiel. Yeah, I and I agree a hundred percent. And I would say along with that, maybe uh, tap a buddy or a, a friend to just go take a casual ride in honor of that canceled event, maintain your social distance and whatnot, but make a donation to a good cause and still get out and ride and enjoy, you know, the spirit of, uh, the event, but on your own or with a, uh, with a riding partner. Yeah. You can just ride out to that local humane society and drop a check off to them. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I, I agree with that. I think that's a, an excellent suggestion. I'm going to count that as a bonus tip and trick. <laughs> all right yeah all right um all right so that's our news bites in our calendar uh, we do have part two of our interview with dave richardson coming up but before we get to that we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back support for SoundRider and the SoundRider show is made possible by the rally in the gorge are you ready to go beyond the main roads since 2003 the rally in the gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the columbia river gorge national scenic area with programs for dual sport adventure sport touring and sport bike enthusiasts this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again for more information visit soundrider.com rally hi my name is george i'm from east wenatchee washington one of my favorite rides is in southeast Oregon up onto the Steens Mountains and back down. Hello, this is Harold Olaf Cecil from Giant Loop, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. We are back on the Soundwriter Show. I'm Tom Aaron, the publisher and the founder, and uh, I'm here with Derek Roberts. And uh, last month we did a part one of an interview with Dave Richardson, uh, who has a new pair of books out. So since it's a pair of books, I figured let's do a part two now. So Derek, you're going to run the interview. Go ahead, take over. Well, yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's more than worthy with uh, all of the material that Dave has written here. Uh, Dave Richardson, uh, founder and uh, owner since retired of Moto International in Seattle, and of course, well, world-renowned published author. Welcome back to the Sound Riders Show. Well, ha- happy to be here. So we got into uh, all kinds of stuff in the, uh, in the first part of the interview. So let's, um, let's move maybe in a slightly different direction. A few things have changed here in the, in the Seattle scene. Most notably, BMW Motorcycles of Seattle is scheduled to open any time around when this interview is going to be released. I know that you were almost uh, a BMW dealer here in Seattle. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, wow. That- that was a story from uh, about the mid '80s. Uh, that was um, after Green Lake uh, Cycle was preparing to close. They had uh, taken over f- um, BMW dealership and added uh, what was it, Yamaha and Motorini to it, but uh, didn't really get off the ground. And so they were looking to close and sell it. Uh, at the time, I was at um, European Cycle, which was uh, in the same building with Seattle Honda at 170th and Aurora. And so we made the move to uh, take on BMW, and that involved, of course, BMW, as you can well imagine, as a company to do a great scrutiny of their potential dealers and see if they meet a standard. And I was the one in charge of uh, doing all the work to see that uh, we would be approved. And uh, in the end, it came down to uh, a meeting between the owners of Green Lake Cycle and myself and the ma- majority owner of uh, Seattle Honda and European Cycle. And in the end, um, as we're sitting there wait- ready to do the deal, he said, well, I don't have the money. So <laughs> oh, we were that, that, that close to being the BMW dealer. <laughs> Well, I, I can only imagine how many times have uh, motorcycle shops been uh, been created, dreams of ownership been cratered by that very line, do you think? It's got to be in the millions, right? Well, yeah, but at the same time, I think of all the amazing good fortune that led me to be a part owner of uh, a motorcycle shop and 
two or three occasions. And so I have to take it as, uh, you know, some, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Well, that's right. And if you don't have uh, a whole collection of wins and losses, you certainly can't write two books. So it all pays off in the end in some respects, right? Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think, um, you know, because a lot of, uh, particularly my life and bikes, a 50-year love of Ducati, Moto Guzzi, and other motorcycles, you actually chronicle year by year um, sort of your, your ownership stint with Moto International. Would you have any advice to to the new owners of BMW Motorcycles of Seattle based on your experience, which I just, I know I just asked you a question, but I would for all the listeners, if you have any interest in being in the motorcycle business as an owner, uh, a must read because this takes you through all the twists and turns. And I feel like is a PhD in ownership. Well, thank you, Derek. I, I, I kind of feel like my experience was so specific to a couple of smaller Italian brands I'm not sure how much of it applies to uh, people that have a little more worldly experience in the motorcycle business. In general, though, I'd say that um, um, the manufacturers try to look at us as a partner. And I like to say, well, no, we are um, two different businesses that are operating jointly in some ways, but uh, we have to always remind ourselves that we have our own interest in mind too. Um, you know, the, the manufacturers aren't going to stand in there and, and hold you up if you have, uh, you know, bad times or something. Uh, so you, you really have to be looking out for yourself sometimes. And, and, and the, the manufacturers always have their own interest in mind first. I mean, there are things that you do that work together and there are things that you do that are very much opposite. So, Always keep your your own business in mind first. You are you are first and foremost, you know, Seattle BMW, let's say, and secondly, you are a franchise of BMW. Well, I think that's great advice, and that's just the feeling you get from you know from reading your book too. Is you do have to hold not just uh, the manufacturers accountable, but you also kind of have to hold the government accountable. I was reading in uh, you know your second book uh, just this morning before we got on, which is course, my life and bikes, the rest of the stories um, about the mighty influence of government and some of kind of the head scratching regulations that come down, not just to manufacturers, but to individual shop owners and how that can sort of interplay. I, I really got a kick out of your your couple of paragraphs talking about the um, the three wheeler phenomenon in the uh, in the 1980s and uh, how everybody assumed, parents assumed that, oh, it's safe because it's got three wheels, and that turned out not to be the case. So there was this push for regulation, and all of a sudden you had these ATV four-wheelers, and are those safe? And uh, what was, I mean, how do you manage that as a business owner? And what were maybe some of the more head-scratching moments of just dealing with government regulation as it came down to you? Well, yeah, some of these things that I mentioned, like the ATVs, I was observing because I was in the industry, but they didn't directly affect me. You know, of course, this this goes back farther than some people would even know, but um, the four-wheel quad um, ATVs that we see today all used to be three-wheelers way back when. And, you know, it's easy to see that uh, parents would think, hey, this is safe. My kid can sit on a three-wheeler. It doesn't fall over. But you know, you, you steer a, a vehicle into a left corner and you can feel your body trying to continue going straight ahead. In the case of a three-wheeler, that means going off the right side of it. And so, uh, you know, suddenly um, this great business that was built starting with Honda building three-wheelers was shut down overnight by the government. And, you know, think of what the effect is on all these businesses that thought, hey, we had a good thing going here. Uh, the same thing happened more recently, I think, in the 2000s when somebody decided, rightly so, that um, children's toys should not have lead in them, right? right. Well, that, that got right down to small motorcycles and ATVs that, my gosh, it's got exposed lead battery terminals. I mean, the, a kid could go up and suck on one of those. And there was a time where these these little vehicles were going to be outlawed simply because of that before it was seen fit to make an exception for them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, one thing I say in, in the book, and I've believed in life, is um, a business is like a, a small bug running around. You know, you have a view of your world, and there's a much larger world around you. And at any one time, a, a foot can come out of the sky and squish you. 
and you don't necessarily even see it coming, just bang, all of a sudden the world in which you operate has changed so drastically that you either have to adapt in a great way or maybe it's not even possible to adapt. You know, I think that uh, is is so true. I mean, the challenge is, I guess if you think about all of the challenges that you may face before you go into business, you would probably never do it. But as really comes through in your writing, and I, I can't compliment you enough on your writing style. I really found it to be captivating and uh, a really an easy read. But um, oh, thanks, definitely, Darren. yeah. But you can definitely tell coming through that you really enjoyed your time. I mean, five decades in the motorcycle industry. You would hope that if someone were to spend that much time in the industry, they enjoyed it. But it really comes through how much you actually enjoyed being in part of the motorcycle world. Yes, in fact, you know there were plenty of times during my 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 tenure that I would just stop and think, wow, you know, this may not be going great. It's going okay, but I get to show up every day and mess around with Moto Guzzi motorcycles. That was my my main love. And, uh, you know, I, I could never complain about anything that happened in the process because that's what I got to do for 37 years. Well, and that's, you know, a big part of the, uh, of both the books too. I mean, there is literally dozens of personal stories. I wonder, do you, do you miss being involved on a a day-to-day basis? That's a good question. Um, it was so traumatic towards the end that, uh, I, I, it took me a couple of years just to kind of cool down to where I would, you know, even want to look at a motorcycle again. Um, I guess it's hard for me to answer that question, Derek, because I just can't imagine being there anymore. I'll say this. I think the world's a lot tougher for the motorcycle dealer today. I mean, not only do we seem to have a diminished interest in it, but uh, the the market is changing. Uh, electric bikes are becoming a bigger thing. The people that are buying bikes, um, the market's shifting quite a bit. And it's a little bit like it was in the early 80s when there was a big turn down in the motorcycle industry. And uh, because of it, the, the manufacturers were at a loss to find what the people want. And there was an awful lot of experimenting. I know Yamaha was good at this, things like phasers and things like that. They, they were just shooting things out, just trying to find something that people responded to. And it's something similar is going on right now. I mean, you look at Harley Davidson. I mean, here's a company that's made a, a very successful business of the same thing for so much, such a long time. And now they're just sort of putting out these little feelers to see where, where are there people looking to buy bikes right now? So, you know, that's a tough time for anyone to go through. And it's certainly for the motorcycle dealer today, I can't imagine it. And I've talked to some of my old friend dealers uh, with the the COVID virus thing uh, hitting right at the peak of their season in the spring and people, you know, not able to buy, stores not able to be open in some cases. And, uh, and just there's a feeling that when people are fearful, they're not going to spend money on things that aren't necessities. So everything says, you know, it's a tough time and I don't envy them and, and wish them all well. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. You know, uh, I know in the last couple of weeks, certainly I should start, I guess, with a few months ago when all all COVID hit, nobody knew if half the industry was going to be around. But I've been pleasantly surprised to hear, and uh, hopefully you will too, that actually a lot of dealerships here in Washington miraculously have experienced actually some of their best months ever uh, last month. So it's, it's a weird interplay, but I would have if I were a previous owner, I would look at these headlines and I know a lot of mornings I would think I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. And then I'd see a motorcycle go down the road and I go, well, maybe I do want to deal with that. It would be (laughs) kind of a pulled in both directions. Oh yeah. I mean, bike sales seem to be more or less holding their own. They're certainly down, but uh, I've heard from a couple of dealerships that their repair, repair departments are doing extremely well. So that's really good news. Yeah, absolutely. An essential service there. Well, you know, talking from today's sort of climate, I want to go back a little bit uh, to to your interest specifically in Italian motorcycles, because obviously well known for being the owner of Moto International, Moto Guzzi, and uh, Aprilia. But you really, you've always been sort of an Italian aficionado, starting with Ducati since you were a young guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know that. You know, there's a time where I was sort of the go-to Ducati mechanic in seattle if you can believe that that would be like very early 80s uh there was a time when ducati had practically no presence in seattle 
we started a little shop in 1980 that was European Cycle that was in the same building that Moto International wound up in. And it was just an, an aside to a car repair business. Uh, so, you know, they were small things at one time. But um, my interest in, in Italian bikes started when my, my best friend, Henry, that got me into motorcycles, got a Ducati 250 as a Christmas present. And at the time, I didn't even know what the darn thing was. And, and you know, the fact that here's a bike that shifted on the right side instead of the left, I, I didn't even know there was such a strange thing. So that, that kind of led me into it and because Henry wound up marrying the daughter of the local dealer at the time, Bob Budshot, and then I eventually got a Ducati dirt bike and a Ducati street bike and road raced it and went on to there. That's what kind of get, got me into the industry. Little did Henry know that that was also your Christmas present on that morning, right? <laughs> yeah, really, in a way. It, it meant more. It was a more significant event to me than hit to him probably, yeah. Well, then, you know, fast forward to, I guess, 1992 when, uh, you know, Moto International opens up and you really become – in a sense, one of the the global experts on uh, on Moto Guzzi. Certainly, I know this uh, this two latest books um, aren't your first foray into writing. Guziology is still kind of the the gold standard for Moto Guzzi enthusiasts. Just to to learn about, I guess, the history and the development throughout the decades. Well, I would say this: I, I, I'm the guy that knew some stuff and wrote it down. I think there's a lot of people that know a lot more than I do about them. But uh, I found that there is something magical about when you write something and put it in print and people see it that way, it, it gives you, you know, greater authority than maybe you, you actually deserve. Well, I, I guess you have to put yourself out there, though, right? So that's what uh, I think people are looking for. But it's still – it's a terrific resource, and I know you still get requests for that, right? And there's been some uh, – some magazines internationally that have offered to publish it on CD and that kind of thing. I don't know how successful you've been able to be off of that book specifically in the last couple of years, but I know there still seems to be a demand for it. Well, I guess the one thing about it is that unlike most books, it's a, it's a constantly updated thing. And that's been a joy and, and a little bit of a pain because you can't rest on that thing. You have to keep it up to date or else it's not as valuable to people. So, I mean, to have a book that has sold for over 26 years is, is a pretty amazing thing. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, certainly. And I've got I've, a little bit of a uh, Moto Guzzi, Dave Richardson um, trivia for Tom. Tom, did you know that Dave has an Instagram page? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm friends with Dave on Facebook, so maybe sometimes he posts on Instagram and I don't know it. Well, the reason I bring it up is because there's a picture on there from, I think, uh, you posted it fairly recently, but the picture itself is from 2014 from one of your trips to Italy where uh, there's a factory worker there who had been working at the factory since the 1950s. Oh, right. Uh, I can't remember his name, but it starts with an A, a very interesting guy. He assembled the first Guzzi V8 road, uh, road race engine. Um, and the reason for the Instagram thing is I wasn't quite sure how the pictures would come out in the book that was going to be published through Amazon. I didn't know if they'd be clear. And I figured if I just created an Instagram page and put all the pictures up there, people could see them, they could download them, and they could see them as they were intended. And I can add to them at any time. So it's just a, I don't know how novel it was, but it was a solution I, I came up with. Well, that uh, your Instagram account is Dave Richardson 1234 And it's kind of cool because all the pictures have kind of like two or three sentence stories along with them. So I, I certainly encourage anyone who's interested in, uh, in your career or Moto Guzzi or the Seattle motorcycle scene to, to check it out. And that gentleman's name is, I'm looking right now, Alberto Arnuado. Yes, very, very fun guy, and I, I was a really a pr privilege because I had two different times I got a tour of the Guzzi Museum, and, you know, f for you to don't know, Moto Guzzi has supposedly one of each production motorcycle that they've built for their 99 years, and then to have on t my two tours, once I had one of the famous engineers that helped design the V8 racer and the V-twin street bike, and then this other time, a, a guy who had been a factory worker up until recently. So j just to be able to share some of the history that these guys were able to em embark was just amazing. Yeah, and uh, but, you know, going back to, to the book real quick as we, as we sort of wrap up here, um, 
lots of personal stories and I, I really I think you describe it at some point the books as sort of a written as sort of a bathroom reader kind of style where you can do little chunks at a time but I, I can't compliment you enough on, did you just on the say, writing style. I'm sorry, did you just say bathroom reader and then you followed that with little chunks at a time? <laughs> Oy, yai, I, don't, yai. I don't know that that needed to be uh, pointed out to connect those yeah, Tom, dots there. But. Tom, we all noticed that. We didn't feel the need to say it, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, with those, some of those personal stories, you know, one that uh, – because we talk a lot about, about the joy of motorcycling. And I know you're very much in that same spirit. You know, we all do this because we love it, but there was one story in particular that um, I found to be kind of a, uh, a heartstring puller, which was uh, when you had to collect a motorcycle from an older gentleman. And he kind of knew that that was going to be probably the end to his motorcycle career. What can you, can you, can you share that with our listeners real quick? Oh, that, yeah, that, that's a great story, Derek. Um, the man's name was Larry Pedagana. He was an orthopedic surgeon around Seattle, very well known in the sports community. He was uh, on staff or the orthopedic surgeon with the Mariners and for some time with the Seahawks too. And uh, he had been a Norton guy most of his life. And he chose this one particular Guzzi is a fancy model bike. And you could tell he really loved it. There was an incident where he dropped it and put just the tiniest scratch in the gas tank. And he was kind of embarrassed to say, I need a new gas tank, and it was $1,000. We said, Larry, it's your baby. You can afford it. Go ahead, buy the, buy the gas tank because you care about it. And then a, a day came that you know he'd had a stroke, and he couldn't ride anymore, and soon after he had to retire from his work, and he had asked me to come pick up the bike and put it on consignment for him. And you know, I load the bike up, and you know, he's kind of quiet and, and hard to read, and the, the, the the memory that stuck with me was after I'd loaded the bike up and I'm about to pull out and I look back and I see him peeking out from behind the, the drapes in his front room, watching me taking his last motorcycle away. And you think, Oh my gosh, do we, you know, any of us want to face that day where we have to say goodbye to motorcycling? No. And I think that's a, um, a good message just to say, make every ride count, right? Well, absolutely. And that's what I end the book with. And I say, well, you've spent, bunch of time reading a stupid book now go out and ride your dang bike (laughs) well on that note i would say uh make every ride count and make uh every book that you read uh make that count too because life's is too short for uh bad motorcycle rides or bad books uh the two good books that you can check out my life and bikes a 50-year love of ducati moto guzzi and other motorcycles and its partner book my life and bikes the rest of the stories Dave Richardson, always a pleasure, longtime friend of the uh, Sound Rider Show. And I should mention, you can get both of those books on Amazon, correct, Dave? That is correct, anywhere in the world. So check them out on Amazon, highly recommended. Dave Richardson, thank you so much for joining us on the Sound Rider Show. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Dave. This, uh, we are going to take a little break, and then uh, we'll, Derek and I will be back with some tips and tricks. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in North Bend, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from, whether you're shopping for a used cruiser, sport tour, dual sport, adventure, dirt, sport bike, or street standard. You owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. All right. My name's Sean. I'm from uh, Bremerton. I got a KLR650 and a Goldwing. And my favorite ride is anything that involves dirt, uh, especially if I'm on the Goldwing. This is Garden Robinette from Trail Tech, makers of Voyager. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Welcome back to the Sound Rider Show. And as we wind things down here, I just want to say thanks again to Dave Richardson. You know, Tom, I, I could talk to Dave, I think, on uh, probably about every other episode here on the Sound Rider Show. That guy has got uh, 
enough motorcycle knowledge to to certainly last a few lifetimes. Yeah, we should have a bench racing section with him in every show, huh? Yeah. That's going to be the next 20 minutes, bench racing with Dave. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that pans out in the future here. But uh, in addition to counting that as yet another bonus tip and trick, uh, why don't we get into the real deal here? I know you've got uh, an interesting one this month. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a nut. I'm kind of a weird dude, so I come up with crazy ideas sometimes. Um, on uh, on the packing list that we have available to people, whenever they make a purchase on the store, we always send it out with them. Uh, we do list ten items that. You should carry on your person, not in your, not in the luggage on your bike or on your bike, but carry it on you. And two of those items are spare keys and a broken key removal set, tool mm-hmm. set. Now, I started to come up with a little way that I was going to pack all this into a small OR backcountry uh, pocket style system where I could put these 10 essentials in there. But I realized that these uh, lock removal kits uh, or broken key removal kits are uh, pretty sharp, you know. And uh, having come off my motorcycle before, uh, I really don't want to have one of those stab me in the gut when I hit the ground. Right. So I started coming up with things that you might have around the house or that you could purchase at uh, at the hardware store. Uh, that you could store some of these sharp objects in. Even a, even a key, a spare key is a sharp object if you land on the ground. And uh, a couple of the items that I came up with are uh, old pill bottles. I, I tend uh-huh. to like to save my old pill bottles because I can store extra screws and nuts and that sort of thing in them. Uh, and they don't wear out as fast as like a plastic Ziploc bag. Sure. Uh, and another item that I came up with was a length of plastic line. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, something that's about as wide on the interior as, say, a wine cork. And so okay. you could drop your broken key removal tool kit into that and then close it with a wine cork. And that way, uh, pretty pretty sure it's not going to uh, you know put some tape over it. And uh, it should stay in one piece even if you – Hope, hope you never would, but even if you did hit the ground, because um, if you put that in a pill bottle, you're going to have that pill bottle shatter. So, so yeah, that's my well, that's, tip. That's a great point, you know, and uh, those key removal kits, which uh, you can get broken key removal kits. Uh, apologies, we got the uh, siren in the background there. There's Derek um, uh, back yeah. in the chop district again. <laughs> that's right. No, we're in the Sound Rider Autonomous Relief Zone. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but um, you know those broken key removal kits—they are—they're very compact. You can get them on uh, the Soundrider store, store.soundrider.com. But you're right; they're almost—they're little like barbs. They're kind of like fishing hooks, where yeah. everybody knows, you know, from being a kid or a regular fisherman, that they can—they uh, can poke pretty hard. And uh, you're right; if you come off the the bike, or even you know, I've had just keys and stuff wear out, wear holes in my jacket pockets. Right. And I'm like, hey, I'm riding with an expensive motorcycle jacket here, and now. I've got this hole in my pocket, which is not good for losing your key. And again, these pill bottles would prevent that sort of fall out there too. So sort of lots of different ways to come at that, but I think that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our tips and tricks. Wait, I got mine still. Oh, wait, you got yours. Yeah, let's go to that here. So I want to talk about just a little research that I had uh, been doing here recently with the uh, NHTSA website. And I found a breakdown of non-fatal motorcycle injuries by body part. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'd love to hear this. Tell me. Okay. So uh, 22%, again, these are non-fatal motorcycle injuries by body part. 22% come to the head and neck. Uh, 18% come to the arm slash head area. So that's arm and shoulder. 20% at upper trunk. 8% lower trunk. 3% other. And the biggest non-fatal, biggest area for non-fatal motorcycle injuries, 30% come to the leg and foot area. So I'm in for 50 on that then. <laughs> I had the dislocated shoulder, the exploded elbow, and the exploded left knee. 
Well, so as you can attest, uh, you know, wearing all the gear all the time is definitely helpful. But one of the things that isn't broken down into this with leg and foot being the highest area for injury, you know, we hear a lot of times people talk about, or we see a lot of times people that don't ride in motorcycle specific pants or footwear. Yep. And uh, I think that that is reflective of the percentages here where people oftentimes will wear obviously a helmet and oftentimes people wear a motorcycle jacket, but they may neglect other areas of gear. And um, the technology on the ATGAT side has come a long way. You've got a lot more comfortable, protective motorcycle pants out there. Some you can barely even tell are motorcycle pants. And the same thing goes for boots too. I was at the Seattle Cycle Center and I bought some Cortec boots that have uh, ankle protection, you know, and toe protection, and they're waterproof, and they look like standard city boots, and they're really well built, and, um, you know, something that I have incorporated into my daily riding around here, so just some food for thought for all you jean and tennis shoe riders out there who I all too often see on the highway. And I don't know where the hips fall in there, but having some hip padding is, uh, can be pretty handy, too. Definitely, yeah. I think uh, even just to protect from the road rash alone, right? That's such a, a common impact area that uh, bruising, road rash, embedded underwear into your skin, a little hip padding can all help prevent that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good, that's good information to know. There you go. The more you know, right? The more you know, <laughs> the better it gets. That's right. <laughs> so eat beans for every meal. Oh, no, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our July show, and uh, Derek and I are going to go put our gear on and go for a ride, and we will all meet back here in August. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on The Sound Rider Show. 